fundraising from the business sector. I'm Bill Stanjukevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Dwight Burlingame, co-author of Chapter 39 in Achieving Excellence of Fundraising, the fifth edition, and that chapter is Fundraising from the Business Sector. And I had the great privilege of co-authoring that chapter with Dr. Burlingame and Dwight Welcome back to the Fundraising Schools podcast. And I have to say, talking with you about fundraising from the business sector would be like speaking with George Bizet about the creation of the opera Carmen, because you are a pioneer in this field. You have taught us everything we know about fundraising from the business sector, but not yet everything that you know. So that's why we're so glad to have you back with us on this podcast. Well, your compliments are over the top, I must say. It, it almost makes me want to sing a line from that opera. But <laughs> I won't do that to you. And for our audience, uh, Dwight is an opera singer himself. And uh, you know, to say opera is a hobby of his would be an understatement. Uh, but it's not an understatement to talk about his pioneering work in fundraising from the business sector that has continued to this day through chapter 39 and achieving excellence of fundraising. And, and Dwight, I know as you've looked at charitable giving from the business sector to nonprofit organizations, you have seen some categories, some ways to, to frame an understanding of the business sector support for nonprofits. What What is that framework? Right, um, in fact, it started back in 1996 when we did some research in this field and had a conference to develop uh, the areas or what we call the models of fundraising. And it's much uh, a combination of theory and practice in looking at those models. And so just to briefly mention them, uh, first of all, the corporate uh, responsibility model or which is uh, the preferred model in many ways over the history of corporate giving. Um, and uh, secondly, the ethical and altruistic model, uh, which is um, a limited one, but a very important one. Historically, the political model, which looks at the reasons why companies give in terms of to gain political advantage, either internally or externally to the company, and then finally, the stakeholder model, which has been most popular in the last uh, 30 years or so, uh, where um, it looks at all the stakeholders of a company and then understanding why the company is engaged with each of those stakeholders. And then what giving to nonprofits or uh, doing sponsorships with them, whatever, uh, why that then becomes an important part of the overall business strategy. Uh, so those models in various degrees have been uh, existing at least since um, 19, I, I would put it 1953, uh, when there was an important act which allowed companies to give to uh, nonprofit organizations charitable activity and have it as a deduction. This is, so that's a relatively recent phenomena, and it is an important thing for nonprofits today and all fundraisers to remember that historically a company couldn't give to anything that was not for the benefit of the business. So it brings us back to that important concept when we think about 
uh, corporate or business sector giving to uh, nonprofit organizations is that the primary purpose of a corporation, of a company, of a business is to make a profit. It's fundamental. It's been that way for centuries. And so for them to engage with community in the sense of organizations in the community, there has to be a return to the company as well as a benefit for the nonprofit. So if we put that model in perspective, I think it allows us to uh, then ask the questions about how do we go about doing this? What's important for a fundraiser to do, et cetera. Dwight, there was so much in that first response. One thing I want to ask you to do, can you go back to the to the frameworks and just give us a, you know, just a quick summary? Responsibility, altruism, political, and stakeholder. You know, Let's just start corporate responsibility. What does that mean? It basically means that the um, company has an obligation to community or to society. And therefore, in accomplishing that, they have a um, obligation to, in accomplishing their obligation to society, they are also accomplishing their responsibility as a business, which is to be profitable and have a return for their investors or for them personally, as they go about adding a benefit to society, a product and activity or whatever it might be, that is the primary mission of that particular subsector. Altruism, caring about the well-being of the community in which they work, caring about the people who live there, caring about the conditions, altruism? Yes, I think that's at least um, ethical action. Um, whether it's altruistic is uh, a debate that's always been had. And what is altruism? Um, it is certainly uh, not just for uh, one's self, but for the other as well. So, you know, you get this debate of what is altruistic. It means more than just the benefit to an individual or to a organization singularly. So I think it's it's a debate on, on what that means. But, and then you ha and because of the other three factors, including the political factors, that where businesses are intersecting with government and all the regulations of the business sector here in the United States, or is there another meaning to political? Yeah, there is the uh, uh, internal political. So within the company, let's say you're the corporate uh, representative uh, for um, nonprofit organizations in the community or in other words, the PR department, perhaps, or maybe it's the employee uh, benefits department. So you're looking at internal, uh, having your advantage with the other divisions. So it might be the research and development uh, in terms of what they uh, can bring by engaging with a particular nonprofit organization. Um, so it's this debate within the company in terms of positioning your benefit to the overall organization. And, and certainly in a larger corporation, uh, you find, excuse me, you find the um, integration of that activity 
is a, a benefit that needs to be sold to the various divisions in terms of getting resources to accomplish your effort. In other words, to get uh, company resources being devoted to your nonprofit that you think will benefit the uh, your division within the company. And then that fourth category is stakeholders. Are we talking here about customers? Good We're exposure in front customers. of the customers? We're talking about vendors. We're talking about other um, direct relationships in terms of the uh, stakeholders, board members. You know, you you name all of the various people that are associated, groups of people that are associated with the uh, particular company. And as you have put these four categories together, in your initial reply, you also talked about history. And th this is what's so fascinating. It's It can be very easy in the nonprofit sector to say, you know, the local business to the big corporation, there is funding there. There are these four big categories of, of why they often might donate. Um, but we shouldn't take this for granted. You mentioned that a law was created to allow for tax deductibility, uh, pre-tax, uh, of corporate giving. Uh, and then also, uh, back in the day, some of those shareholders said you shouldn't be giving any money away. That's our money. That's not a function of the business. And these things were happening, as I've learned from you, kind of after World War II. Uh, and again, to just show how recent these developments are and that nonprofits should not take for granted uh, the way that businesses donate and the way those donations are supported in public policy and in law. Yes, I think uh, when you go back and realize that um, in all the history of enterprise, corporations, business in societies, um, and even going back to um, Adam Smith in his famous work, he said that um, nonprofits are uh, well, charities at the time, they weren't called nonprofits, obviously, um, uh, should understand that business is first devoted to making a profit. And from that excess, they can engage in assisting others, charities, whatever it might have been. And as you mentioned, the tax law, which comes into effect in 1935, um, year after the Social Security was created by the government in the U.S. to allow for um, a deduction. But that could only be if the company was doing something that helped the uh, making the profit for the business. So you couldn't give to a nonprofit in 1935. So up until that was true from 35 until 1953, when we had the New Jersey Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of New Jersey decision in um, in that court decision, it allowed the chairman of the business um, to be able to make a $1,500 gift to Princeton University because that was his personal interest. In other words, it, it was his own uh, personal interest and was no benefit to the company. So at that point until today, we have this um, um, ability for a company to provide. 
but it was it's on the backdrop at the same time of having really a uh, number one principle that I'm making these gifts from my company resources and to be able to um, our, to be able to make uh, our business more profitable. After you've been teaching this course, and this chapter was jointly, as you mentioned at the beginning, by both of us, um, you've been teaching the uh, business fundraising course, or rather I should say fundraising from the business sector course, um, for several years now. And I'm interested in what you've found in terms of the students on how what their major concerns are and what the issues they're dealing with and why are they even taking the course? Yeah, that's a great question, Dwight. And, you know, first of all, I think they take the course because they respect the the research base of all of the fundraising schools courses. And our research team at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, which produces Giving USA every year and writes a chapter each year on the business sector, has found something quite interesting that about two thirds of the charitable giving that happens from the business sector lands in one of three categories. One is education, the other is health, and the third is community development, which certainly aligns wonderfully with the four categories that you explained earlier. Education being, I want educated workers or customers who are educated who have better jobs and who can afford to become my customers. Health, that there's good health in the area because, you know, healthy workers don't take sick days and don't have to take sick days for their children. If their children are properly healthy, getting good preventative care, and of course, community development, all of those amenities that make the location an attractive place to live and attractive place to uh, attract employees. So, so much of corporate giving uh, is associated with employee recruitment, retention, and morale. And as we lay that out, the question we then get, Dwight, is, so how do I talk to these folks? Because <laughs> I'm in the nonprofit sector. They're in the for-profit sector. That's like traveling to another planet. I don't understand the business sector. I'm maybe intimidated by the business sector. I might have social economic justice concerns about the business sector. So I think of the people who take this course and who read this chapter are kind of looking for that decoder ring, looking for that, you know, help me understand and decipher the best way to approach the right businesses for the right amount, at the right time, in the right way, for the right reason. Yes, I think that's really an opportunity for those folks to be able to actually do a uh, fundraising plan focused on the business sector. And so in their reach of their uh, nonprofit that they're working for, in other words, the agent that they're working for, how they might... Um, build a plan that looks at those important elements of where are the common connections? What have they been doing in the past? How, what's their history? And uh, their, and how are they engaged in the same community of which they serve? You know, they might have a common vendor, for example. And you start thinking of when you look at the stakeholder model, uh, there may be, of course, a board member that has a connection with the and what better way to become comfortable than working with uh, a board member of uh, that is engaged in that particular business? That might be a board member of your organization. So, yeah, I think that's so important to be thinking of those points of contact 
those stakeholders as well as the common um, historical activity of the company in a particular subfield, whatever it might be. What, what final advice? There's been so much good information that you provided to our audience here today. Is there a way you would summarize final advice you would have for fundraisers as they are incorporating fundraising from the business sector into a comprehensive fundraising plan? Um, be not afraid. Be willing to ask the questions and engage with your uh, intended uh, donor and um, have those conversations about common interest. What do they have an interest in? And listen. You know, I think so much of the uh, um, making that first step of being not afraid to have the discussion. And then, of course, to ask and to ask what might be appropriate. And I mean, it's major gift fundraising principles all over again, right? And Dwight, that's what I was going to add is just as we try to understand an individual donor and their particular philanthropic values and philanthropic motivations and how do those align with our public service mission, just as we look at a private foundation and their particular guidelines and what they like to support and at what levels to have that same approach with the business sector. Understand why this individual business wants to be active philanthropically. What are their primary motivations? Who are those decision makers? Uh, if you have an economic or social justice concern with a particular product or a particular business, don't fundraise from that, just as you might not fundraise from a particular individual or particular foundation. But I, I love how Dwight summed that up. Be not afraid. Uh, and, and find the right businesses that can support your nonprofit in the right way. Dr. Dwight Burlingame, a pioneer in the research and study and application of fundraising from the business sector. That wisdom is gathered in Chapter 39 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. As Dwight and I like to say, they say the best chapter for last, as he and I co-authored that chapter. Uh, and you can find the textbook uh, on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. The fundraising from the business sector is one of our courses, about two dozen courses that we offer in person and online, leading up to four different certificates. We also teach this in our custom training programs. All of our curriculum can come directly to you, or we can take a little bit from several different courses and knit that together specifically for your needs. We have quarterly webinars and these free podcasts. Again, all the information on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Grateful to our guest today, Dr. Dwight Burlingame, and a podcast produced by my colleagues, Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Sandrakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.